Well, as we uh, consider what was read over us over the past few moments, and we think about the story of Christ crucified, shared with us from a stretch of passages found in the Gospel of Luke, we want to recognize that Luke points out a couple of extraordinary happenings that occurred the moment Jesus died. The first of those extraordinary happenings occurred though though it was noon that it was the brightest moment of the day we're told that everything went dark. That darkness covered the land for about three hours. We're told uh, he uses this descriptive phrase that the sun's light failed. It was a dramatic scene. It was a dramatic moment because it was a very dramatic event taking place on the cross. Several hundred years prior to this, a prophet by the name of Joel would speak of a day like this when he says that the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord. Now his prophetic words spoken several hundred years prior to that moment Jesus breathed his last breath on the cross, that that day of the Lord would stretch across uh, time in a significant capacity, starting with the death of the Messiah and coming to a culmination in that moment and in that day when the Messiah who has resurrected and is now reigning and ruling all over all of God's kingdom, he will return to make all things new. But you think about that first moment of the sun going dark and you understand that this event that transpired on the day that we call Good Friday, that this event would glorify two things about who God is. It would glorify the fact that God is a just God. And it is an event that, is, that would glorify the fact that God is a merciful God. You see, when Jesus died upon the cross... He took upon himself the sin of his people and he endured in that moment the justice of God. And such an apocalyptic occurrence, the drama of it, it is symbolized by how God turned the lights out on the land. As a father, I've tried to explain this dynamic to my little ones and when I've tried to explain it to my youngest, Adeline, most recently, I'm I was reminded of several years ago when my son Asher did something wrong that required a consequence. He was disobedient and we had promised a consequence would come if he did a certain thing. Well, he did that thing and so we put Asher in time out. We isolated him and set him aside by himself. We had to spend some time reflecting and thinking and enduring that moment, bearing the consequence of his wrongdoing. But there came a time when his older sibling, his da- his, my daughter Delaney, saw Asher sitting kind of up in the stairwell by himself in a corner, isolated in a timeout. And she came up to me and said, Dad, Dad, can I, can, I, can I do something to help Asher get out of timeout? And then she said, Dad, can I take his place? And I said, yeah, <laughs> you can. And she walked up the stairs and she told Asher that she was going to take his place. And Asher got up and he ran free through the house and Delaney sat down in his place. She went into timeout while Asher went free. And you realize that in that moment, two things collided. In a very small way, justice and mercy collided. Justice happened because the consequence for wrongdoing was carried out. But mercy 
showed up as well because the consequence wasn't carried out by the person who did the wrong. That's mercy. And when you think about Jesus dying upon the cross, you're thinking about these two dynamics coming into play that when Jesus died on the cross, his justice and his mercy were both upheld simultaneously. For the consequences of for sin was carried out and was executed as judgment would fall upon Jesus. But the consequences for sin and for wrongdoing did not fall upon sinners like you and me. It fell upon the Savior. Justice and mercy colliding at the cross. Now the second extraordinary occurrence that happened in the moment Jesus died was when the curtain in the sanctuary or the temple, when that curtain ripped in two. And it's a powerful scene where you consider this curtain tearing from the top down because this curtain for centuries represented the separation that exists between sinners like us and the holiness of our God. Between those who are not right and the God who is right, this curtain for centuries represented that barrier, that separation. Now, there were moments over the course of Israel's history where one man could enter through that curtain and he could step into what was known as the Holy of Holies, which was a description of what was believed to be the place that God's presence most intensely dwelt. And so the high priest once a year would offer up the annual sacrifice of atonement, then he would pass through the curtain and he would go there before God representing the people. And it was an intense moment as well, a heavy moment. It was so heavy that we're told that people would tie a rope to the high priest's leg or to some portion of his garment or his body so that if he enters through that curtain and he engages the holy of holies in that moment and If it turned out that the sacrifice being offered didn't stick, then that high priest would be struck down on the other side of the curtain. And so that rope was tied to him so that his corpse could be pulled out if that were to happen. And so each year, the people of Israel followed the same protocol, doing this year in and year out, all in compliance with the sacrificial system outlined in the law of God, which you find in the Old Testament portions of our Bibles. But all of that changed on Good Friday. All of that changed on Good Friday. And the reason for that is found in the centurion's confession when the Roman soldier heard Jesus call out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. Now these were strange words for Jesus to utter loudly because those were words drawn from Psalm 31 and they had become at that time words commonly spoken by devout Jewish men and women just before they fall asleep at night. These were words of peace. These were words of rest. These are the words that Jesus would utter. These are the words that the Roman centurion heard. And then the Roman centurion saw Jesus breathe his last breath. It was such a peaceful contrast to the apocalyptic darkness that surrounded Jesus on the cross and that covered the land in that moment. A peaceful contrast. You see, Jesus died unlike other crucified criminals because he was unlike other crucified criminals. 
When Jesus died on the cross, he died peacefully. And the centurion soldier recognized that. This is why he started glorifying God, saying this man really was righteous. Jesus' executioner recognized his innocence. That there was something different about this one being crucified in that moment. And that's why the curtain ripped in two. As Jesus died on the cross, he offered himself up as the final sacrifice of atonement. The one sacrifice to which every other sacrifice prior to that moment pointed and foreshadowed and anticipated. Jesus would be the great high priest. The great high priest who didn't simply offer a sacrifice up to God on behalf of people like you and me. Jesus is the great high priest who became that sacrifice. And he offered up his life to the Father, taking our place in our cosmic timeout, experiencing the isolation that you and I are born into the world, experiencing cut off from our God because of our sin. Jesus took care of that on the cross. This is what the writer of Hebrews is clarifying when he, when he writes a, a pointed explanation of what was happening as Jesus died. He said, this is the kind of high priest we need. Holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day as high priests do. First for their own sins, then for those of the people. No, Jesus did this once for all time when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who are weak. But the promise of the oath which came after the law appoints a son who has been perfected forever. This is Jesus, the great high priest, the unique one, who though he knew no sin, he became sin on our behalf so that you and I could be made right with God. And so as Jesus died, the curtain in the temple tore from the top down. That curtain representing our separation from God, it ripped As Jesus ripped open a way for you and I to step into free and forever fellowship with God. And we can know the one who loves us. We can know the one who created us. We can know the one we will be with forever. You see, that curtain ripped because God accepted the sacrifice Jesus offered him. But then we're also told in the story that afterwards... After Jesus breathed his last breath, that that a devout man named Joseph approached Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. And then he took the corpse of Christ and he wrapped it in linen. He placed it in a tomb and we're told this too was an affirmation of Jesus' innocence. Because crucified corpses weren't buried in tombs like this. Crucified corpses of Guilty criminals were cast into a common pit, but that's not what's happening to Jesus. Because although he died between two criminals, he was not buried as one. Instead, he was treated by those who knew him like a king. And so Joseph of Arimathea would would place him in a tomb that had never been used before. And, And then some of his female followers saw this taking place and they returned later to the tomb to prepare his body further for burial and bringing spices and perfumes to dress Jesus up like a 
king. And we're told that all of that was done prior to the Sabbath, the day of rest that God blessed his people with. Here's what I want you to think about. Ripping and resting. That's the sequence of salvation. That's the good news of the gospel. Rest is the reward of a hard day's work. And when that curtain ripped in two, from top to bottom, mind you, the work of atonement was completed. The other gospel writers would tell us that as Jesus died, he also cried out, it is finished. Meaning the work of atonement, the work of salvation, it is done. There will never be again a sacrifice required of anyone because of this moment. Therefore, Jesus ripped the curtain and he brings rest to his people. All symbolized in his body being laid to rest in a tomb and his followers observing the Sabbath after worshiping him in that moment. Ripping and resting, the rhythm of the gospel, ripping and resting, the, the rhythm of salvation. Sinners like us can now enter fellowship with God and rest from any effort we put into trying to atone for our own sins. Any effort or instinct we feel like we have to do something to make ourselves right with God or to make this world right before God, we can now rest from all of those efforts. You see, the word atonement, it means to cover. And covering is what the human heart wants. It's what we've wanted ever since the beginning when Adam and Eve first sinned against God. And they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and they partook of the forbidden fruit. And after that happened, what did they do? Well, they went and sought cover behind some trees. They tried to cover themselves by hiding from God as they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in their midst again. They jumped behind some trees seeking cover. And then when they came out of hiding, they came out with fig leaves covering themselves up as a way of recognizing and covering the sense of guilt and the sense of shame and the sense of fear they felt because of what they had done. And this is how human beings have been living ever since. We're living in an effort to conceal that which is wrong with us, trying to hide it, but in our efforts to hide it and to conceal it and to cover it up, we are never ever changed from it. Because fig leaves are inadequate coverings. And there are all types of fig leaves that we cling to to try to hide and to conceal what's wrong with us. Some of us do it with sarcasm. And we've got wounds deep, so we just promote a strong front by becoming very sarcastic. Others of us become very religious. And the reason you go to church isn't because you love the Lord who loved you first. The reason you go to church is because you're trying to prove yourself to the Lord that you don't have to prove yourself to. We appeal to all sorts of things to cover ourselves up. Many people in our city grab hold of social activism. And they appeal to the big things that are wrong with the world as a way to kind of avoid dealing with the personal things that are wrong in their own hearts. And it's all fig leaves. It's all covering and what happens with Adam and Eve is the same thing that should happen for you and for me 
Because when the Lord saw Adam and Eve coming out from hiding, wearing these inadequate coverings that could not deal with what was wrong in them, what did the Lord do? The Lord said, look, those coverings are not right. They're not going to get the job done. So what did he do? He took an animal and he shed its blood. The first sacrifice in the Bible and he took the skins of an animal and he clothed Adam and Eve with a more sufficient covering. And what you find in that moment is that God in his grace provided a better covering. Making it clear from the very beginning that covering his people would be his work. He was going to take care of us. And so when God gave Israel the sacrificial system, not long after all that went down in Adam and Eve's life, he was essentially saying to Israel, look, I've got you covered. I know you're not right, but I've got you covered. I know you're not right, and all the things that you're trying to cling to to cover yourself up with, they're inadequate, they're fragile, they're going to crumble, they're going to fail you, but don't sweat it, I've got you covered. And so he gave them the sacrificial system. So that every year at Passover, God would remind them of that great truth. Remind his people that he's got them covered. He intended for the annual act of offering up those lambs and goats and the offerings in the Old Testament to prepare the way for his ultimate act in Jesus. So the writer of Hebrews would also say, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. All of those sacrifices were insufficient Therefore, as he was coming into the world, he said, you did not desire sacrifice and offering, but you prepared a body for me, referring to Jesus. You did not delight in whole burnt offerings and sin offerings. Then I said, see, it is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. I am the, I am the one who's come into the world to cover your people, to do what they can't do and to be what they can't be before you. See, it was this will that occupied Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. As he wept and sweat drops of blood in anticipation of the judgment he would endure on the cross, the cosmic consequence he would experience there. Jesus would weep through that reality as he's getting ready to step upon the cross. And when he did step upon the cross, he was stepping onto the cross to do God's work. For Jesus came to atone for our sins that on the cross, that is why he died. The ripping of the curtain is God's way of saying to sinners like you and me, I've got you covered. You can rest from all of your efforts to cover yourselves. From all of your feeble attempts to compensate for what is corrupted within you, I've got you covered. This is the declaration of Good Friday. And when that day drew to a close... The Lord's body rested in a tomb and the Lord's followers rested in the shadow of the cross. Just waiting for something else to happen. Waiting for something else to happen that would occur on Easter, Easter morning or Resurrection Sunday. You see, rest is the reward of a hard day's work. And much like God rested on the seventh day after completing the work of creation, Jesus rested in the tomb after completing the work of atonement, the work of redemption. And Jesus now invites all sinners like you and like me to rest our faith in him. To rest our faith in the one who ripped the curtain from top to bottom. 
Rest our faith in him who died in our stead, taking our place. This is the good news of the gospel. Now, you know, at the end of the day, because this happened, at the end of the day, the only barrier between you and having a free and forever fellowship with God, the only barrier in your way is you. The work's been done. Will you rest in it? The work's been done. Will you hear Jesus when he says, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. The only thing keeping you from fellowship with God that's free and that will last forever, the only thing keeping you back is you. Nothing else is in the way. Jesus has done the work. So what do we do? We turn our eyes towards Jesus. We fix our faith upon him. We rest our faith in the reality of Christ crucified. And we rejoice in the fact that this crucified Christ would be resurrected just a couple days later. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your son Jesus to live the life that no person in this room could ever possibly live. We thank you, Jesus, for being obedient to your Father, obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for being willing to take our place and to give up your life as the ultimate atoning sacrifice so that we might be covered and changed by the love that you have shown us in that act. God, I pray that our hearts would warm to the reality of all that you have done for us, Jesus. I pray that rest would be found in the deepest parts of who we are so that we might live a life of freedom and fellowship with you as we journey through the world that is en route to the world that is to come. We pray that your grace and your mercy would abound all all along the way. Father, I pray specifically for anyone in this room who's not yet resting their faith in Jesus. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would work within them so that they would come to see the beauty of Jesus and his love for them and, and that they would rest their faith in him. God, I pray for a restful people in this room. I pray for a people who have entered into eternal rest with you. God, would you please hear that prayer? Would you make it a reality in the experience of every person here in Jesus' name?